you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world, raise $130 million in growth funding, and can help you fast-track product market fit and, where relevant, the launch of your token economy. So today, I'm happy to welcome co-founder and head of product of Rarible, Alex Salnikov. Welcome, Alex. Hey, Jamie. Thank you for having me today. So you are our first episode of 2021. Um, Happy New Year to all the listeners. Um, If you don't already know, Rarible is an NFT issuance and marketplace platform. One of the leading ones allows you to create, um, mint and sell digital collectibles secured with a blockchain. Latest figures are over 100,000 pieces of digital art. I guess that would also include collectibles minted on the platform. Um, more than $27 million worth sold. And I believe the protocol itself has over 30,000 monthly active on-chain users. So some really impressive stats. And off-air, Alex gave me those uh, stats. The numbers I had, I don't know where I got them from, there was like 1,500 pieces of digital art minted. So whatever that time period was, it still shows a hell of a period of growth. And I imagine a lot of that came you know, just last year alone. So some reasons why I've got Alex on the show. Firstly, he's a serial entrepreneur and product manager, seven plus years of experience, a lot of that in crypto, Web3 itself, um, co-founded multiple crypto startups, one exit. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, what does an exit mean in the world of Web3? Um, but also, you know, we've had a lot of NFT platforms on from SuperRare. We recently recorded one with OpenSea, um, which if it isn't out already will be going out imminently. Um, So we've covered NFTs generally a lot, you know, what's happening as an asset class. But I think the great thing about Rarible is they've they've really pushed the boundaries in terms of what it means to be an NFT platform. Um, They were the first to tokenize. And, you know, with that comes a lot of challenges and learnings, which we're hopefully going to tap into. Um, They also are very committed to what they call uh, progressive decentralization, moving towards potentially a a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO. And Alex, you refer to something as having a shared mindset. So I always ask guests before they come on, you know, the things we can and can't talk about. And you pretty much said, you can ask me anything. Um, uh, And, and, you know, you, you guys, or at least you personally, like to kind of think aloud out in the open. So that promises to make a great episode. Um, so to kind of summarize your background a little bit to give you some context, um, I believe you originally studied economics, um, also computer science with a heavy uh, background in, I guess, statistics or kind of data and data modeling. Is that correct? Data science, right? Data science. Um, and as I said at the top end, you've, you've, you've a large part of your career has been um, specifically within crypto. I mean, from what I can see, uh, almost all of it, right? I don't know. I, I, so your, your first project that's listed on LinkedIn anyway, following your studies, going all the way back to 2013, was Bitcoin Cashier, where you were co-founder and product manager. So that's pretty much all seven years of your entire career in crypto Web3, which makes you a bona fide uh, Web3 crypto native, I guess. Thanks, Jamie. That's a perfect introduction, probably even better than I could do myself. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I just love this space. Uh, I can briefly cover my experience as well. So as you mentioned, I started uh, my education in one of the best economic universities in Russia, and uh, I picked a technical uh, major inside this economic university. So that's why I have this this like duality in, in education. But during my, my first year in university, I, I launched a viral project like just hot or not for for our local audience uh, and it, it spiked 20,000 users like visited it one day and, and basically since then I, I, I probably understood that um, I'm, I'm more of, a, of an entrepreneur than, than a science guy 
So I, I, I did study it. I did finish my university quite like relatively average because I was working a lot and I, I've been building crypto stuff. Um, more or less the same time after that viral project launch, I, I met a lot of like guys in the in the university with a shared minds, mindset, and we started building. Uh, at first, we built a local cashier, just like a, a, you can call it fiat on and off ramp here locally. We even had a bank that wanted to to allow to process debit cards for us. They probably didn't really understood what were they doing, and. Central Bank prohibited all of that activity later for, for the bank, so we moved to, to the global market. That was pretty obvious that like the, the state of, of the legal uh, will be moving a little bit more slow here, or maybe in general a little slower than, than the crypto itself. So we moved global, we've built an exchange. Um, just just this simple what like centralized exchange for for all the crypto. Uh, it was highly. Was this margin call? It, that was margin call, right? Yep, it was called margin yeah. call. We thought that it's a fun name uh, <laughs> or an exchange. So there was a lot of like technical stuff under hood. One million trades per second, short sales, leverages, all of that built from scratch. We studied the economic processes. We've, we've done all of it. Um, we've spent a lot of time acquired the great experience and most the most important part of all that my crypto path was the team that we acquired uh, our team is just like top-notch guys here uh, and you know Russia has a very strong technical school uh, our our heritage so was that team the same team that's carried through into other projects because I could see from Bitcoin cashier to margin call you co-founder head of product that was back in 2014 to 16. um uh so, so it's some of that same team that's carried through into things like coin offering which you did 2016 um a period of 2016 and, and into rareable or you're just talking about an ecosystem generally uh, I, i'm talking about part of the team so for example we're working with our head of design for six years now and and he was he participated in, in in several projects of that and we've been building this shared mind state with him for for a while uh, and then in 2017 the previous great bull market we met the um, I, I met with the other co-founder Alexi he's the CEO of Rarible and he brought uh, the the part of the team that he's been working for for like 10 years now uh, and we joined our forces and it turns out it's quite a fruitful union between us We've built in 2017, we've built ERC20 issuance platform and that allowed other projects to, to issue ERC20. It was a great business back then. Everybody was doing this. Uh, and after that, we, we started to build Rarible. Uh, I want to get a little bit back in time to my educational life and my early career because uh, that was the time when I became more like a fan of behavioral economy. When, when people talk about economy, it's, it's usually some like numbers, APYs, yields and that kind of stuff. And more or less all of them, uh, more, of, more or less all, all of the like users tend to think that economy is rational and tend to like at least try to make it more rational to make rational decisions about about investments about all of that stuff but what people don't probably pay attention to is that a lot of this stuff is really emotional behavioral um, I, I'm a big fan of the book like misbehaving you probably heard about that one and that part probably was one of the reasons why we picked an NFT space to be to be developing in because it's highly emotional. It's it's really behavioral in terms of that it touches you somewhere inside. We we people love to collect, to possess, to to have, to own, and there there are like ridiculous. Mm, 
human behavior uh, that is well studied that if, if you give somebody um, a, a, a glass and then you take it back overall like, like emotional balance of that person would be negative because it's it, the losses are twice as painful as gains as they as they say so this this part of the of the world economics like is really thrilling and that's why i'm a big fan of of what's happening inside the nft space because it's much more like like prone to to the just people interaction yeah and i think um so to step back a bit you you also co-founder product manager of coin offering coin offering was one of the first companies to to look at issuing shares as tokens um i remember when that was a thing in 2016 it's funny it's never really fully taken off um i'm sure it will at some point but obviously there's the securities component to that um you were also co-founder at xenome which was looking at doing um a platform for dna exchange um you helped as an ico director for human iq was that dinner squad i think and not really that was alex fork Okay, maybe I confused that with um, another project of a similar name, but that was around financial inclusion. Um, and I know you helped a lot of people around um, ICOs in, in the 2017 period. Um, and then of course, 2019 founded Rarible uh, as head of product. So um, maybe before we go into Rarible, just kind of you as a, as a founder, given the background, in economics, com computer science, why product? Is is that where you see behavioral economics manifest the most in, in how people actually in interact? What what's the what, why that focus for you? Uh, the product mindset has always been kind of in between like um, technical marketing and entrepreneurial. And they, they often say that um, chief product officer, like pro product manager is the CEO of a product and it's, it, it, it's been my mindset uh, that I just collected by being uh, try try and catch entrepreneur from my early days. Uh, I, I didn't know how to call it actually before, like couple couple years ago. Uh, I was just doing products with my friends, and turns out after after I went to the outer world and learned that my role like exactly matches to what product manager does. It was just defined by my economic uh, and computer science uh, components of my education because sometimes i, I go to uh, you know when you go to university there is like a brief description of who you will be after you finish that faculty and and turns out that my my, my mindset and my skill set almost entirely matches to what they like promised i will be so, <laughs> i don't know if that's i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but it, it, it is what it is right you're very predictable <laughs> kind of predictable but it turns out it's just our our university is a unique place here in russia it's like 20 years old and one it climbed to the first place in the rankings of, of a lot of fundamental universities that were here for 200 years so it's it's much more like left than our general just sentiment in the country so uh, I, I, I trust this place with all my heart and probably I was just following the advice that they gave me. <laughs> very good, very good. So let's jump into Rarible. As I said, the reason why Rarible stands out, at least for me, is because of its approach towards innovation as a platform. So it would be good to kind of understand from you how you describe the mindset of Rarible as an NFT platform, and you know what is the thing that is driving these innovations, and I guess the approach towards NFTs generally. If I try to describe the shared state of the Rarible team in in regards to the NFT space, it would it would. It, it would be about a lot about emotions because like the uh, the way Rarible started was highly emotional inside the team as well. Uh, we just 
we just sit and brainstorm about what is the next big thing in crypto, what do we want to build, how do we want to build it, and then like we came, we stumbled upon this um, uh, problem in the NFT space that you, it, it's really hard to create in, a new NFT that only developers can do that for now, to, to issue the game and assets inside the game, and we wanted to unleash this creative power to everyone, like everyone would be able to create an to make everyone to be able to create NFTs. And what, uh, the first thing that we did is we went and created a couple of our owns on, on some, just calling some contracts or using some like small utilities that were out there. And it, it was it was so fun. I, I sold one of them to, to our head of design and he sold one back to me. It, that was like a nominal profit, but it, it all felt, it all just clicked. Uh, it, it, it was really kind of fun uh, to, to operate with them. And I, I think a lot of the modern businesses uh, incorporate this uh, entertainment part in, into, into the business model. And this was what was driving variable innovations probably. It, it, sometimes when you interact with users, when you interact with community, when, when a lot of creative users like talk to each other, Sometimes the innovation just sparks by itself. It's really hard to, to, to define how did we choose that part. It's just sometimes it clicks and, you, and, and you're highly engaged and uh, excited. Go to your team and say like, let's do this. It, that would be absolutely amazing. Uh, when, when we launched the governance token just like two weeks before uh, uh, it, it clicked and and we spent this two weeks back to back building this and, and it went amazing. So sometimes it's just it's, it's out there. I, I believe that ideas is like the, the first class citizens in this world and the people are second. And that's why like sometimes it, it infects you and then you just, you, you're just the medium for ideas. And uh, you just need to listen to that and, and, uh, and to hear when that something like that happens and, and encourage everybody to cooperate on, on that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the things that I love about the space is the level of innovation that's happening creator side. Like, of course, they have to be a little bit more technical, but if you look at what like Pranksy does, um, Joy, Beeple, Pack, you know, they're, they're really both innovating with the underlying technology. Um, and often how they do that is a commentary on, uh, on the limitations or possibilities of the technology. And I think that's, that's super fascinating. So I guess as a platform, being able to harness creator innovation um, is, is how you can win in this space. So let's talk about the token. As I said, you were the first uh, platform to issue a token. Um, Rari is a native governance token. So not only was it the first token, but it was the first governance token in the NFT space. And so, so could you talk us through that decision, some of the design choices, and I guess some of the learnings as well, because uh, they often say being a pioneer, you're, you're the first one to get shot in the back with an arrow. And as you say, NFTs is a very emotional space. You know, creators are naturally, um, you know, quite emotional beings. Um, so, so, so tell us about why a token, the role of the token in a community and any kind of learnings that you've had. Okay. So when we were deciding on how do we want the project to go like we we are the crypto native team we've been in the in this space for so long so it it wasn't probably even the question for us like whether there will be a token or not at some point we, we knew that there there will be and uh we do want the token just so like the economy of the token is really important. We didn't want it just to be. And uh, th that's why we were waiting for, for something to happen, for some, for some ideas to click in mind on how that ultimately needs to work. And, and this, this idea of liquidity mining is just really amazing. Uh, so it, I, I often like make parallels with this um, process. When I first learned about crypto and I, I loaded all the, the idea of decentralized shared 
state of balances in my mind. Uh, it, it never it, it never went off uh, back. So this probably the same happened with the liquidity mining program. So this this positive feedback loop of of rewarding users who create network effect for the product. Um, so like people come to the product, they trade, and you reward them for trading. That brings more users to the platform, that brings more liquidity. And when we deal with marketplaces, people are always look for liquidity. The sellers go there uh, where the more buyers are and, and vice versa. So this problem of growing the marketplace of ch is chicken and egg problem. And mm, the idea to bootstrap the liquidity with the liquidity mining program is the brilliant way to solve it. Uh, I do believe that it will be expanded to the traditional marketplaces as well. Like, like Uber wants to reward the drivers for, for being active in, in their network of drivers and passengers. And, and the same happens in, in the DeFi space. And this blockchain, I, I always been saying that the core value proposition of blockchain is the shared state and the digital signature. And it's just the better way to coordinate people across across the globe. And this idea of having token that can help you coordinate people to, to achieve the, the, the same goal is what we've we're been looking for. So this. We launched the liquidity mining program to grow the marketplace, and it, it just worked. We, we, we've grown like ten to twenty times by any metric over over a period just of month, uh, and now we are one of the leaders leading marketplaces. Mm, so I, I believe like that it was a massive massive success in launching the token. So what we learned uh, as as a pioneer is as it's not. It's not an easy to be a pioneer. Uh, we, we, had, we had this problem of wash trading uh, when people were basically incentivized to self-trade or to trade with affiliated people. Uh, we, we have a roadmap of tackling with this. But overall, there was a lot of negative sentiment about that. And I think that the positivity that that token brought to the platform and like massively outweighs the problem that we received. So just on just on that bit, because as you say, you know, it got some criticism. Do you think that this is a fundamental misunderstanding? Do you think that this is just an inherent part of a, like a byproduct of a decentralized economic system and like inherent to liquidity mining wherever that exists? Or, or do you think that it's just so do you think that's a permanent state or do you think that it's something that can be optimized for and therefore it's just a byproduct of it being an early uh, an early economic system um it's definitely something that can be optimized and we are doing this so we introduced uh, marketplace fees to tackle the problem so users are paying fees and receive rewards at the same time and if they caught wash trading that they are denied of the reward and they paid fees so that massively decreased the wash trading but overall it's just liquidity mining isn't a very sustainable way of uh, of operating the network on over a really long period of time because uh, it basically just redistribution of of funds in some way and redistribution isn't always sustainable without an additional work to be performed so that's why like it, it worked really well early but the overall efficiency of that is decreasing and the wash trading is just part of inefficiency of that pro of that process uh, we are probably like slowly moving away of liquidity mining program the way we see it now so that that's our ultimate answer to all of this criticism that Yes, it, it is a little inefficient and uh, we've got a, a lot of plus side from doing that. And we're going to move to another completely revamped economics to make that all better. Okay, really interesting. Um, so maybe we could talk about that pathway. So we mentioned at the top end this idea of progressive decentralization, um, but it'd be good to just understand um, the features of 
governance that you're hoping to devolve to the governance token like so what form of governance can you do now with a token and and what other forms of governance that are perhaps centralized are you hoping to devolve to the network over time Right now, we use snapshot.page, an off-chain voting mechanism to perform um, governance of the platform. And the way it works now is like we as, uh, we as a team can make a proposal and then community can decide on that proposal. Just because uh, we don't have decentralized development or decentralized marketing. So like this part of people that are doing an active uh, job is what needs to be developed. Uh, and I, I have this interesting parallel in my mind that when we allowed everybody to create NFTs, we as a team weren't a limiting factor to use case experimentation, like our users experimented on what, what is great. And the same thing happens right now with governance. So like right now, we as a team are a limiting factor to the governance process of, of the system because uh, the tech isn't yet developed to uh, governance to not be dependent on the team. And, and, and this is the exact way of progressive decentralization that we are following. We are developing better tools for the community to express their creativity in the governance process. Right now, you can, you can, you can vote on the important questions when we as a team don't know what the community wants better, this option on this op or this option. For example, when we introduced marketplace fees, we ran that through the governance process. So the governance were deciding on like what the size of this fees would be. When we changed the distribution to be in favor of verified guys, we ran that through the governance process. So like right now, we use it as, a, as an approval method for what the team wants to achieve. And it's not as good as we want it to be. So the next step is to introduce the new model in which the uh, governance decisions are implemented as soon as they've been voted on. Uh, and in order to do that, we need some way of on-chain results of, of the governance process. And again, there is a lot of tech that can help you achieve that. Uh, and what we do as a team internally, we are designing an economics around it. So uh, I would want to briefly touch on the like, core parts. The economic isn't finalized yet. And my, my core like call to action today would be to, to bring more people to look into this problem and to synchronize them around the problem of growing the NFT space and to share our commitment as a team to, to be there as well. So the first step that we're going in to implement is the staking and locking mechanism for Rare. Uh, it's really important to be economically aligned with the protocol. Uh, and the best way to do that is just to directly commit. Like, let's say I commit that I won't be able to unstake my Rary in a period of six months. What that means is that I'm highly incentivized to see the better, the better system in a six months from now. And that's, that's the core part of the new governance process. At first, we aligned incentives. And then we just allow everyone to do whatever they want with on-chain governance. And what we expect to happen is at first to run through governance, uh, to grants program. Uh, for example, we recently funded uh, subgraph development uh, on Gitcoin for, for the whole NFT market. And, and that's an amazing initiative that initiated on Twitter somewhere and made a tweet and then there was a telegram chat and then I, I was invited to the chat uh, and that ended up in being the funded grant on Gitcoin. And I, I do believe that more or less uh, this path of, of, of decentralized development and decentralized marketing is that we're going to take. Uh, I believe that it resembles the way of Ethereum to grow its ecosystem. So where there is a core team that make an spec and that's interacting with a lot of satellite teams that are doing infrastructure and receive grants and, and help some, some conference sponsorship, hackathon sponsorship. Uh, that, that, that is the way to build a network, as I said. 
of course th there comes an, an, an instant question of um, network effects and defensibility of that uh, but I think we are willing to be pioneer and maybe count one more arrow on our back and that's and that sense but to help the, the the space to grow so how do you and i think this is uh, a challenge for every nft platform you know currently there are fat tail creators who individually far outweigh volume on any one platform. So you look at what people did with NFT Gateway, I think it, it, it surpassed entire sales on Super Rare in a whole year, right? Um, and that was only, that was less than 1% of his entire collection. Um, and so you look at Pac and his million dollar sale uh, recently for, for one asset. Um, how as a platform do you manage or evolve with the dominance of one or a handful of creators, like the dependency on one or a handful of creators on a platform. And, you know, how, how do you balance the trade-offs between catering to them too much versus trying to accommodate the long tail of creator? I think wearable and on that spectrum, wearable stands more towards the long tail of the spectrum because like, um, Success has an exponential distribution. So there, are, especially in forms of uh, of highly subjective uh, in in areas where, where where this this measurement is highly subjective, and it's mostly defined by the network that that surrounds you. There is the the whole chapter of a book of a person who tried to analyze the success in the creator community. Um, that that book is called Arab, uh, "The Formula" by Ar Albert Barabasi. Uh, I highly recommend you to read this exact chapter to if you want to understand how that works. So. And in that sense, uh, there always will be a dominant part of the distribution that holds most of the volume. Um, uh, we stand here as an open platform. We don't curate at all right now. We, we, use, we, we provide tools for the users. We, everybody can create NFTs on Rarible. You don't need to be uh, approved to, to, in order to start your doing anything. So uh, my, my personal view on this is that open platform is always better than the closed one in terms of the, the long-term strategy. It, it's been much more, uh, it, it brought a lot of hurdles to us uh, to be an open platform with, with some cases of like copyright issues and all of that uh, but that I think that that's good problems to have because after you solve them you or you can scale much more quickly than, than the platform is the limiting factor of, of whitelisters curators and uh, other other users who who act as a gatekeepers of the economy yeah, it's interesting. There's a, another book, I can't remember who wrote it, called The Hit Factory, and it talks about, you know, fat tail, long tail in, in creative industries for the last hundred years from music to film. It's, it's a fascinating read. And I'm sure a lot of the math of the model, you know, holds in the NFT world too. So obviously at the moment you are explicitly or intentionally not curated. As you say, that has its benefits, its, its trade-offs, let's call it. Um, but I have seen... Um, especially when you're talking in the context of progressive decentralization and the DAO, this idea that increasingly moderation of creators or creation itself could somehow be linked to the DAO and the governance. Is, is there any kind of thinking around that? Yeah, we ran a couple of uh, internal pilots around that. Uh, and as I said, we can refer to this uh, staked locked uh, balance uh, as as a as a measure of trust because uh, like y you know you can trust the team because the team is committed for several years for doing the project uh, and or or even their entire lives uh, so that 
and you know that you can trust the user if he's committed to be for several years or for several months in crypto it's it's a long time as well so after we have this notion of trust we can slowly move the curation and uh, moderation uh, processes to those who have this amount to, to, who have this trust so uh, for example let's say we can we have a report report function on the website right now and we have an internal team that is managing all of that report what we can do is as soon as we get staking uh, we can count how many staked rarity do you have as a person who reports something misbehaving on wearable uh, we can build in that particular notion directly into this support program and we can just blacklist or gray list automatically with the specific amount of rarely reported that item as being fraudulent. And, and that's the completely, um, I'd say, native and evolutional path of introducing that functions to the system. It's not that like we came up with this a bright new system that is somehow can help us moderate or do something like that. It's just, it's a basic improvement of the process that we have now. It, it would help the scoring and eventually you can, you can take out the person at all. So let's talk about um, the financialization of, that, that happens as a byproduct of NFTs. Um, so there's a few elements to that. I know you referenced this idea um, of NFTs in the context of DeFi. So as, a, as an asset class, we've covered that before on a podcast a little bit. Um, things like fractional ownership. Is it you regard your platform in a way as an NFT market index or is that a specific product that you're going to evolve out of the platform? I think there is a spectrum of products that stand in between the NFT space and the DeFi space. And the most basic one is wrapping. And I think that's heavily underexplored ones because you can, there, there was a massive success in, uh, after CryptoPunks started to be able to be wrapped into the ERC721 standard. And you can wrap a lot of DeFi stuff into the same standard for it just to have a better UX than it has in DeFi now. Like uh, your, your pool stake, uh, it can perfectly lay in your wallet as an NFT. Uh, uh, you, like YC or VBTC pool, I always make that that example. It's really hard to understand what it does, but if you had the same NFT with with an action to deposit and withdraw, that would have a, have a picture and the name and description and would lay around in your wallet. That would be much more better, that much more uh, digestible for the user. So like the, the, the second is price discovery, the really big one. There is no way to know how much does this particular NFT cost without selling it on auction or auctioning it off. So there are projects like Upshot Protocol that is doing the peer prediction system for the NFT price. They, they recently went alpha and I, I'm a really big fan of that because that that is the real like key missing piece between uh, NFTs to start to be widely used in the DeFi as a collateral, as, as the as the uh, borrowing asset. Uh, that that's the missing link. As soon as we've got this, we can build an index on top of the NFTs. Yeah. So the the price discovery bit's interesting because so far the only thing that I've seen used at a reasonable level of scale is this idea that by borrowing against it, you establish at least a very conservative price floor on the assumption that the person that's lending is, is probably hoping that you default, right? I know that's largely what's driving a lot of lending at the moment is people looking to, to, to try to get a bargain on the underlying asset. But as I said, that establishes a very conservative price floor, which is not necessarily what you want uh, in price discovery. So it's interesting that there's these other, these other approaches. Um, uh, but yeah, so as you say, that then that price discovery then feeds into uh, an index. Let's definitely talk about that. Well, uh, I have one more on the price discovery. It's, it's quite an easy one. So imagine you have like an auction of a one month period. And in the first day, you receive the first bid for the item that is like $1,000. $1, that 
also establish the really conservative price floor that somebody at least wants to to pay this and then you can have a loan and that would be like active until the end of that auction um, so the, uh, in the end this price discovery would be ultimately reliant on some market actor that is willing to to take the risk of the pricing of that item for for some reward so uh, if you know if you know how to price NFTs, there will be a role for you to to earn in this market, definitely. So just wait for your chance. And that's obviously highly highly specialized thing as well. So if you look at um, an Axie, right? You know that is not just it's not a passive asset. It's something that you need to actively use. And I imagine increasingly you're starting to see NFTs in a gaming context as things that need to be put to work, not just kind of passively held or speculated on. So understanding the dynamics of um, an Axie as an asset is going to become increasingly specialized versus presumably, you know, somebody that's just looking at a crypto punk and looking at its, its trading volume and, and, and price range or arbitrage opportunity. Even for CryptoPunk, there was a CryptoPunk sold for $100,000 recently and everybody was asking like, what, what's special about that CryptoPunk? And somebody told that that's one of the six CryptoPunks without any trades at all. And that, that's why it's special. And, and, and there are like others cost as much uh, right now, let's say. So yeah, that, that's highly spe specialized job. And as we know, highly specialized jobs are one of the best. <laughs> So, and that ultimately leads to an index. When we know how to price an asset, we can then create a different basket of those assets and, and to work as an, as an index. And this is what, how the market path for the NFT would look like. The nearest, like two to three years, I would say. It's not an easy job to solve all of that we just mentioned. And presumably you could regard Rari in the way that you would regard whale as an index on NFTs generally, right? In a much more passive way. You don't need any specialist knowledge. It's kind of like a, uh, an aggregation, of course, of what's happening on Rarible, but assuming that that continues to become increasingly diverse, the amount of assets that get traded, that, that becomes a form of uh, index. Yeah, definitely. It gives you an exposure to the horizontal market capture as, as we are planned to, to take the market horizontally. And uh, you can think about it as an index, but index are, indexes are often like narrow. So you want to have an index of NFT land or you want to have an NFT art index. Uh, and then it comes down to like which art or which land you want to include into that index. I can say that right now you can build an index based on the DAO for anything, but it would be not as scalable as you want it to be. But if there is a 10 people who know how to price assets, you can build a specific portfolio as Welkshark did for the crypto art or as somebody else could do for the for real estate in the metaverses. I think that's the first just the, the first uh, use case for the index that that needs to be done. And, and to build a DAO that that buys those assets and then to, to, to like this token of a DAO would serve as a perfect index. Uh, then it just depends on who is the owner of that, uh, of that DAO and who makes the decision to include in the index and who not. But I personally think that this, this would be efficient enough. And where does fractionalization come in then? So I know there's things like sharding at the moment, but, but where do you see fractionalization of NFTs progressing. Presumably, it's where you have a blue chip NFT that, like one to one, is unaffordable for most people to participate in, like a Beeple, but that you would then want to try to fractionalize uh, in order that more people can get exposure to it. Is, is it that simple, or are you seeing it in a more complex way? I I see it in a more complex way. So it it looks 
I don't know why it's really hard to explain how I feel about it, but somehow the fractionalizing of a single piece doesn't I, I doesn't buy it for for some reason because uh, there are there are a couple of existing projects in the real uh, in the traditional world uh, uh, as like Rally Road that are doing fractionalizing of old and uh, really rare cars that you can't purchase um, but it, it I don't know it makes it a little bit technical and boring because a lot of the joy is, is to own an item at the whole and to fractionalize one item is is to fractionalize liquid they say that it, it's increasing the liquidity for an item because you can now trade the parts of it but uh, it needs to, to it, I think in order to really increase the liquidity you need to aggregate across different items so this this way of fractionalizing the the bunch of items is much more better than fractionalizing just one so uh, this is the point where we do some questions from the community. I don't know how much time. We probably get like three or so. Um, firstly, I always find people's uh, Twitter handles in this space anyway uh, hilarious. So get, get, get ready for some expletive laden user handles. And of course, the, the questions perhaps are a little bit more tricky. Um, so we've got one from Shitcoin McPat, <laughs> who, who asks, um, so Rarible is, in his perspective, losing market share. Like, how do you see that? How do you look at it? I guess, to build on that, do you think that you're losing market share or is the market just growing and becoming more diversified? Well, I think it's been quite evident in the past two weeks that the volume uh, on Rarible decreased. And I, I do believe that's the ultimate result of us being a platform that democratizes access to the crypto art and a lot of uh, crypto art on Rarible is, is a chip uh, uh, and, and the mass segment, the long tail of the distribution. And this one is extremely, extremely sensitive to the gas prices. So it doesn't make sense to trade something that costs like twenty dollars and to pay forty in the gas prices for that. So that's that's what been hurting us recently, and we are we made a lot of research of the L2s, and I think that's one of the biggest of the of the three biggest like tasks for the new year uh, for Arable is to adopt a scalability solution and uh, to uh, as well as to create a new economics for the variable for the very token usage and that, that i mentioned before the staking locking and then subsequently grants program and and improving the the incentives for users to use protocol and that are like two two biggest tasks for us yeah and that answered one of the questions from the crypto student on twitter who was asking around thinking around layer two solutions and also think you know to be fair you have to look at if there's a volume drop as you say if you're serving that long tail it has to be looked at in the context of the wider market so not just technical but you know everything that's been going on with i did a poll recently on twitter asking whether people were continuing to back new artists or just putting more money into eth and bitcoin right as the market goes up because these two assets are highly correlated um and i think it was a split 50 percent were moving money into into those two cryptocurrencies whatever you want to call them um versus um supporting new artists um and also what's going on with the blue chip artists right i, I think you know people and whale you know, those kind of sales suck a lot of value, uh, volume out of, uh, I guess, that long tail for a while, but presumably this comes in cycles. So um, uh, I wouldn't necessarily be as cynical as to say it's like representative of a long-term decline, but maybe I'm just being generous. Um, th there was a second question by the crypto student, which was, you have, to his estimation, a $2 million war chest of ETH. You know, how do you plan to use that? Um, and what role can Rari holders play in how those decisions are decided? So this is uh, the very important question that I'd like to answer quite deeply. So uh, the way I see it is the governance is the tool for coordinating people 
So basically what we are going to do is we are going to build better tools for, for our governors to help us to decide how we are going to use this treasury uh, to expand the platform better. That's, that's the, the only uh, way to, to spend it in a meaningful way. So uh, I, I expect something like hackathons, funding, uh, conferences, Gitcoin grants. So it's like generally that can be called as decentralized development and marketing on the platform. And I'm, when I say platform, I, I not only mean the uh, the wearable marketplace and the front end of it, but uh, the protocol part as well. So if we, we we just again I touched it briefly that we funded the Gitcoin issues to build a subgraph, and if that plays well, and I personally big believers in these decentralized development teams, if that plays well, we at first we want to switch part of the liquidity mining program to be distributed as grants to the satellite developers and then probably the treasury would uh, would go the same direction so we want to pay it to those who, who would do some work to make the project better it, it works it works like a budget and uh, what we really, really need to do is we need to coordinate people around how to how do we better do it and that's not an easy question because um, the simple the simple voting doesn't work quite well on that scale so like uh, for us uh, as a platform for a lot of our users are non-technical a lot of our holders are non-technical that means almost instantly that we need the voting delegation so uh, in wearable especially there will be much more reliance on this like political protocol parties of what we are gonna do as a party uh, that would be accumulating votes from people who just don't have time to 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 make that effort to govern to understand how to fund which initi initiatives are better so and, and and this is the work that is also done by by the system and that's why it will be rewarded as well so that's one of the most important questions today and i want to encourage everyone who is willing to make the nft space better to to contact me to join wearable governance forum to make to make your governance political party because that is the next big play around wearable protocol just guys uh, I, I would i would be super thankful if, if you do that and uh, i think that's that's a great i don't know that's a great fish to catch as well and there are loads of other questions i wanted to ask but to be honest with you i like to end on like a very high positive note rather than some kind of very boring technical question so let's let's end there because i think that's a great rallying call to rari holders and of course people that might not yet be participating in your ecosystem as i said i think it's really fascinating what you're doing i think hopefully people have uh, enjoyed the podcast and, and seen your kind of commitment to pushing the boundaries, not just in the context of NFTs, but like governance and everything else generally in Web3 and crypto. Alex, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, good luck with uh, Rarible and 2021. Um, and I look forward to seeing uh, more innovations coming from the platform. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for inviting me today. Thank you for this opportunity to speak. Thank you for all the great questions that you asked. It, it, it's a pleasure to talk to you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.